0: You're listening to The Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number
1: 75.
0: Welcome to another episode of The Maniverse Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Traplin, this is the podcast where we talk about building profitable and successful game businesses. Now before we jump into this episode, let me ask you a question. Why did you start your game store in the first place? What motivated you to get into the games industry? Because chances are it was not because you thought you were going to get rich. Not that you can't make some money in this business. You can certainly build a business that uh, provides a very comfortable income for its owner and its employees, but that's usually not the, the reason that somebody would get into this industry. As my friend John Coviello likes to joke, if you want to make a million dollars in the games business, you start with two. That's a bit uh, hyperbolic, but there's definitely some truth in that. We don't get into the games business because we want to become rich. If we, as other game store owners have, uh, have said, if you can make it in this business, if you can make it in this industry, and you can build a successful game store, you are smart enough and capable enough of building a different business that would make you way more money. So money is not the motivating factor here. Chances are the reason that you got into this business is because you have a passion for games that's unrivaled by probably most of the people that you know. Something about games and gaming culture and gamers in general just drives you and ensnares you and makes you want to surround yourself with these things. Well, our guests for this episode, they know exactly why they got into the business. They are in it to create a movement. They want to show their customers how games can improve mental health, are fantastic educational tools to make you more knowledgeable and more capable, and are a great way to interact and create connections with your family that don't involve a screen or a phone or something electronic in front of your face. I am talking about Darcy and Daniel Leach, from MindSculpt Games in Great Band, Kansas. Now, you may remember these guests because they were originally on the podcast about a year ago, on uh, episode 61. Links in the show notes for that one. You, uh, you may remember them because they were originally just getting started when they were first on the podcast. They hadn't even opened up their shop yet. They were just in the process of uh, getting the, the place set up and having the doors open. So the podcast prior to this one, well, it was very much a getting started, what to expect kind of episode. Well, they've been open for a while now and we're going to we're going to look back and see how they've grown their business to the state that it's in because Mind Games has undergone considerable growth in the last year and partly due to well there's a lot of factors we really jump into it in this episode, and frankly, this whole episode is a goldmine of information for anyone who wants to really grow their game store. And if you're interested in video marketing, this is the like definitive episode for you. Darcy is fantastic at recording videos, uploading them to Facebook, and they, well, they really drive the business. They're a great way to uh, interact with your customers, create that trust and the loyalty and the that face-to-face connection that you just don't really get with any other kind of medium. All that and more in this episode. So without any further ado, let's just jump in and get started. So why don't you guys uh, introduce yourselves?
2: All right, well, I'm Darcy Leach, and my husband and I, Daniel, we run MindSculpt Games in Great Bend, Kansas, which is a town with a population of 15,000. We have a 2,400 square foot store now. We stock board games, card games, miniatures, paints. We have eight tables in our building. We just added a paint night and a board game night. We're an event center with uh, community-driven product choices, and we try to build a business with the main goal of one day paying off our mortgage, but right now we work for free.
1: (laughs) 10
0: tables, but other (laughs) than that, I'd agree. That's a good uh, good goal to have. Was that originally the goal when you started the business? That was what you wanted to do?
2: That is absolutely why I put my time into this. There are no questions about it.
0: <laughs> okay. So it's been about one year, give or take. How many months has it been into the business? Let's, uh, let's talk about that first.
2: We're 14 months into a brick and mortar location, but part of MindSculpt Games' uh, engine has always been, even before we were open, online sales. So we sell on eBay, TCG Player, and in store, and we probably had an accelerated start with our brick and mortar because we already had cash flow generated, and a system going before we opened our doors.
0: It's a good way to do it. How much do, how much of that rolled over, do you expect?
2: Uh, we started with our in-store stock. You know, it, it's a little humble because we started in a thousand square foot building, and uh, we were probably pushing the limits of what what was enough and what was cheap enough, but we probably started with about $10,000 in sealed product stock. Uh, and then we did have some stock that we'd already bought through singles, buying collections, that kind of thing. But- Personal
1: collection that went into the store. Yeah, but it was like pretty that.
2: bone dry at that point anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, we started with only a little bit of product and part of why we don't pay ourselves at this point is we're reinvesting that, hoping for larger growth later. and Now we have quite a sizable amount more of product. It's hard to calculate everything exactly. My square point of sale system can give me some numbers, Um, but we've upscaled quite a bit since opening our doors 14 months ago.
0: Yeah, you said 2,400 square feet now?
2: Yeah, Uh, part of that is our sales space. Uh, Probably a sixth of that is our game space. We have, our Warhammer players call it our war room. I call it our game library, but we have a section with a special Warhammer table and a game library that people can rent from or play free in store. We have a back area that we use for storage. Uh, We actually have a garage kind of attached to our store and we've opened up comics on commission back there. Um, So that's more past the 2,400 square foot, but it's not directly attached to our rent.
1: That would Um, probably make us like 2,800 counting that. But again, it's on commission and so, yeah.
2: And it's uh, not air-conditioned, so, you know, yeah. our, our main play space area, 2400. Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: Well, you got to make some trades, I guess, with uh, that kind of space. That's a pretty large square footage for a business you, that's uh, as young as yours. I think a lot of game stores would love to have 2400 square feet.
2: Yeah. Well, and you got to factor in like we're in a small town with 1500. We got a pretty good, sorry, 15,000. That is a big slip (laughs) up. Uh, But we have a pretty good deal on our location. We're on uh, 10th street, which is a major highway coming into great bend. So the surrounding traffic, it's easy for, we're kind of the, the shopping center for our rural Kansas area anyway, but we're right on that road. And, um, the, the place that we got had been on the market for a little while I went in and negotiated and we got a real good deal so our rent didn't increase much going from a thousand square foot and on main street where there was good foot traffic but we have so much more car traffic uh, one of the interesting things we did with our location we actually paid one of our workers to visit three different locations that were on our radar map and we had a google sheet for um, Traffic count, and we track traffic count um, during three different times of the day for three different days. I think yeah. it was something in there, but we picked the spot with the best traffic count. It was one of our factors.
0: That's some serious research.
2: Well, we make it up as we go, but it felt <laughs> serious when you put in a Google sheet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's more than uh, more than a lot of retailers will put in. They'll just, you know, look at the dollar bill at the or the dollar sign at the end of the lease and be like, "Yeah, this seems right."
2: Yeah, no, we tried to do it right. We knew we wanted to move from our first location pretty early. So we spent a lot of time on it. Uh, But one of my traits is that I am very conservative, maybe stingy about my money. So if I was going to put my time and effort into rent, it was going to be a planned out, thought out adventure. So that's, we, we found a real good one in our town. And I think we took about four months to do it.
1: I will say, though, that, uh, I mean, there were two good locations, and one was like a buy option, and the and this one was a rent option, and we almost, I mean, we went in to go make an offer on that place for buy, and uh, they go, oh, they just rented it out for like the next two to three months, and we're like, oh, well, that takes that option out of the window, so it's kind of, you know, partly lucky, too, so.
2: That was actually a 5,000 square foot location and it was a stretch goal and we may have suffocated ourselves on the cost, especially the air conditioning and cooling. So that might've been one of those here. You're meant to be here. You can survive here type things.
0: (laughs) We're in a good spot for us. Nice intermediate step. Maybe that's in the future down the road, right?
2: Moving is a hassle though.
0: (laughs) Yeah, We're not
2: doing that again for a while.
0: So
1: to to get us to want to move um, from 1,000 to 2,400 square feet, uh darcy had gotten us so full to the brim that big events uh that had 30 or more people we basically lost large portions of our retail space because we had movable uh gondolas gondolas yeah fixtures Mm -hmm. uh that had our board games on it and stuff so we would squish that together even one of them we took one outside and made it kind of like a sidewalk uh Sidewalk sale, sidewalk our, sale yeah. entryway, yeah, and um, so the players still would, like, have to squeeze in between the tables when they they were both on each side and everything like that, so it, it was tight, and uh, the board games were side-by-side so instead of giving full frontage to, you know, for the, each board game, and yep. so we had been probably for six months feeling we need to leave, <laughs> we need to get something bigger,
2: well, but that's part of a retail strategy is you need to maximize your return per square foot. So mm-hmm. if you have space and it doesn't feel like you're maximizing your return on it yet, you probably need to find a way to get more usable products so that you can make turn rate on that and increase your, your gross or your net income and make that rent worth it.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. All right, so let's talk about year one. What was the first business or the first year of business like? Because when we last spoke, I believe it was a month before you guys were actually officially open.
2: Yeah, so my husband and I have played Magic all of our adult lives. I think I first picked up Magic in 1995 when we tried to collect a set of fourth edition with my dad. So Magic felt pretty natural and built well for us. We knew a lot of players in the drivable distance. We didn't know a lot of people in Great Bend because we're kind of new here. But like the first time we had our PPTQ, we were seeing old friends because they traveled in for us. Um, We had enough stock to start magic. We had a passable knowledge, so we weren't gonna get ripped off or accidentally trade for cards that have authenticity concerns. Um, We were able to make fluid business decisions because we'd been, I don't know, we grew up with magic and we grew up with magic. Like we made the down payment for our house using our collection sales uh, when we got out of college. We uh, sold our magic cards, made that payment. We bought a car with magic card sales. Like that part wasn't new to us. And a brick and mortar store that starts without the secondary market background knowledge of magic singles. Um, that is our main income source. Magic Sealed and singles if you count all three channels. If we didn't have that. The first year would have been a lot rougher. Oh, yeah. Now, even having that, the first year was hard because we had to learn to like, manage all the monthly bills. Eventually we added payroll. I had to learn how to train somebody to learn what we were learning to do ourselves because the speed of growth. Um, one of the things we tried to focus on in the first year was that we wanted a manageable speed of growth because um, our area was pretty thirsty for a shop, right? Like we we picked a good spot on the map by luck to have a card shop. We don't have competition within an hour uh, there's no board games in our town unless you find them at GameStop or Walmart and their selection of heavy Euro games. Like Walmart has Catan, Pandemic, and Munchkin. Mm-hmm. That's really it for what we stock. Um, we don't have much competition here. So, what we offered, as soon as people knew about it that were in that type of market, they wanted it, they liked it. Um, we had a lot of organic support and growth. We tried a lot of things with Facebook marketing. Um, I work as an instructional technology coach in the school district, and I run the Facebook account for our school. And really, the ability to get in a parent's pocket and remind them of things or build a positive image for the school by showing positive things, like that works for our school. And we took that same skill set, and we made it work for our business. We purposefully use uh, video marketing to put our face in front of customers because when you sell social in a card shop, when you build community around games, there needs to be some level of connection between the customer and the owner or the workers. And we actually put all of our workers on camera. Everybody in the business does some of our video camera uh, work. And what we just try to do is be organic, be honest, be transparent, and go through the adventures of what it's like to start a first year business. And there's a lot of people in town that know about us. There's a lot of people that don't, but, we find that the people that know about us have an easy path to care about us in our business. And that's because we put our face in front of them.
1: And our values in front of them too. Uh talking to them about what we do and what our business provides. And then, uh, you know, they come in on a Saturday and they see me and they get to talk to me and, or whoever else is working on any given day. Uh, when you make that first connection with people, they, they can get to understand what you're all about, and then they usually come back.
2: Yeah, when Daniel talks about putting our our values out in front of people, when you think of a traditional magic card shop, we don't necessarily. We're both educators. Uh, we're parents, and what we try to do with that is we try to make it so that we can we can reach people that have families and connect them to board games. We talk to parents about the value of math and reading embedded into Pokemon. And we do, we love magic naturally. So that's pretty easy to connect to our customers. Like Daniel's probably taught a good third of our current magic customers, not just the players at our tables, but taught them how to play or helped them learn how to draft or uh, done videos in our player groups that help them build skills. So we have an added value proposition that we're teachers. Uh, We build education through games in our classroom, in our home, in our store. And Daniel's able to educate people on magic to make it an approachable, easy game with solid connections in, in the face-to-face people that you meet there.
1: We also have, um, and I, uh, this is partly just dumb luck, but we also have pastors that are involved in our uh, communities that play magic or play board games. They come regularly and they help uh, guide the, the values of the community, I would say. Uh, just that presence and and what how how much they care about the people that are there, it creates uh, uh, stronger connections between the people that come in each time, and so we really have some strong community builders that are uh, constantly involved in the in in the player side of the community.
2: Yeah, I'd say our people. There's a lot of people that care about each other in our groups. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many store owners you've met where their first F and M was won by their pastor.
0: <laughs> uh, zero zero
2: as far as i know well now
0: you've met two yeah. <laughs> that's interesting do you think that's a small town phenomenon because you said you're in a city of fifteen thousand. is that something that's because of the small population size everyone just kind of knows each other is that
2: it feels very kansas yeah
1: <laughs> yeah i i'm not really sure uh how it happened but i mean there's there's four pastors in the immediate area that are pretty regular customers of ours and uh, and they're involved in different communities quite a bit too. So there's some overlap, but it's pretty neat.
2: Well, to be honest, part of our marketing, we have our board game library and we've offered to have board game nights that we sponsor and teach. So we've actually had youth groups come to our board game area and pull out some board games and play those. Uh, we've had board game nights at a local church and that's just something we put into our marketing package is that if you're looking to build community in some way in 2018 one of the easiest ways to build community when people are used to their phones is to put a board game in front of them give them some structure and rules and have them have an easy way to talk to each other
1: for for moms of teenage boys especially we are an opportunity for them to get their young man away from screens and talking with other people and uh doing math problems while they're thinking about how to win the game basically you know i mean so uh part of the values that we put out is hey we want you to connect with your kid but also we want to build them up uh and we want them to be able to do the best on the act they can uh and have a good successful social life too so
0: yeah games are a real win-win kind of scenario for pretty much everybody involved right Lots of soft skills involved, yeah. <laughs> All right, so you mentioned uh, the Facebook videos, and I wanted to explore that a little bit. The question I had is well, what have you tried that's worked best in terms of growing the business? And I'm, I think that's probably going to be the, uh, the video marketing, like you said.
2: Yeah, so our Facebook business page works pretty well. Um, our personal Facebook pages are a really important ingredient in this and mm-hmm. making sure that we have, you know, clean profiles, respectable profiles, but then also that we, you know, actively use Facebook for business. It might sound slimy, but our personal accounts aren't a hundred percent personal and we treat them like that, even with like the pictures we post and things like that. Um, I actually post less, less pictures of my children since opening a business, but, um, the reach that we have in terms of being in like Great Bend buy sell trade groups or having friends that are in the area and then using our our Facebook page and then being able to share to our, our personal page. Another really smart thing we did that's paid dividends is before we opened we actually created groups on Facebook attached to our business page and they specifically have our business name in them so we have a, a magic group which there's magic groups everywhere right But our magic group is called MindSculpt Games Magic Players. Uh, No, it's actually Magic Players and MindSculpt Games, but you get the idea. And With that, like we have the rules set in there and it just politely asks that you don't sell cards in that group and uh, that's where we know we can post tournament updates and encourage people to say, hey, uh, when they're at the shop looking for some games, have you posted in the group? We have over 150 people in that group now. Uh, we keep it safe. We keep it clean. There's no bullying that goes on in there. Mm-hmm. And it just, uh, we we have a group for Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Pokemon, Warhammer. We have a homeschoolers group. We have a puzzles group. We have an L5R group and a Hero clicks group. And I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out. But if we have a player base for it, we also have a Facebook group for it. And that helps us do a um, little more specific targeting. Like some pictures, we get a new product in we take a picture of it, we put it on our shelf, but we don't just spam our business page with it or our personal accounts. We put it straight into that group where it's hitting the target audience that it's intended for. There's a lot of traction in that. Uh, Some of our best videos, controversy always helps a little bit, but you don't want too much of that. But excitement, natural excitement is something people enjoy, especially if they care about us. So our best video ever is actually me showing the, the new location before we get to move into it. And it's a little bit of a chilly day, so I'm outside with my shoulders a little hunched, and I actually jump up and down in excitement, but also being, you know, a little cold. And then I just go in and share my enthusiasm for the dream that we're building inside that shop. Uh, we got a couple shares on it. And this is another thing we do on Facebook that's pretty smart. Once we get a video that gets a couple shares organically, those are the posts that we boost. If people are sharing it without us putting it in front of them to share or asking them to share, like if people share it because it connects with them, that's when we wanted to see more people, and those are the the posts that we boost. So we have another current video that does have a little controversy on it. It talks about uh, Wizards Direct going away and Wizards selling product on their website for the first time straight to customers. We have a lot of views on it right now. It may be something we boost; it may not. Um, controversy is tricky, and we want our customers to appreciate magic and wizards of the coast. And we're not out to to bash anybody by any means. So, how much we put that out there, uh, and the words that we spoke in the video were pretty purposeful and planned. You know, there's a little bit of fear when a, a business partner goes direct to your customers instead of through you. But that's out of our control and we try to focus on the positives and that's something i'd say too what we put on on facebook um you think about it for a day you make sure you want it it's curated facebook is not we do some facebook live things but you know most everything is planned thought about and it we have a system of checks before
0: we post (laughs) it's a good way to do it. it sounds like you've got quite the system in terms of uh how you promote things and how do you choose what topics to uh discuss in a video
2: okay, yep. so the honest truth about that is I wake up at three in the morning, I have an idea, and then I try <laughs> to fit it in the next couple of days.
1: Darcy's a pretty <laughs> intuitive person, so um, usually things come to her at odd times, or you know we might be in church, and then she goes. Oh, I know what I want to do my, my next boomer bust on or something like that. You know, so it's a, it's it's interesting. Uh she's she's a talent that, you know, the X factor that most stores probably don't have. Um I'd say also though, you know, uh going back on what you guys were talking about with the first year, one of the biggest challenges and one of the most important things we did was create systems. Because initially we went in and me and Darcy were both very talented in certain areas of the business, Uh, but then when we started getting more people working for us, Mm
0: -hmm. we had
1: to figure out, okay, what of that can MindSculpt still do if I'm not here? And uh, how can I make it simple enough that MindSculpt can still do it and we still make money off of it or whatever else, right? So systems were very, very important in the first year.
2: And when I say we have all of our employees on camera, uh, I coach anybody I hire through making a video. I make their first one with them. They get a little bit of feedback on it. Then we see what they want to do and other things. So um, there is a lot of planning in the videos that I ask other people in the business to do. And when I say I get an idea at three in the morning, like that's just the moment. Maybe sometimes there is a lot of planning though. And I actively follow other businesses' pages like ours. Um, I use game store retailer connections to, to know what's going on. I actively look at what's working for other people. I don't think there's a store I know of in Kansas that I haven't tried to take a Google tour of or looked at all their photos of. I or can't
1: physically been to. Or physically
2: yeah. been to. Yeah, like I have a computer file folder called Store Inspiration, and it just has pictures that I've saved that are somebody's racking or somebody's table set up. Um, to build ideas that seem to randomly come to me at night there's a lot of research there's no pretending there's not work in what I do Um, I just constantly my hobby is to learn about game stores my favorite board game of the past is is Monopoly I love Monopoly and Mindsculpt Games is kind of my board game at this point and it's just maximizing the return on investment of each move that I make like you need to do a monopoly and making good trades and, you know, keeping peaceful relationships. So people do trade with you in monopoly. <laughs> um, but my hobby is to learn more about the game store retailer economy. So ideas come a little easier when you're obsessed.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So what, you, what's your method when you do shoot the videos? So you said that uh, you, you, there's a lot of planning. Do you, do, do you write a script? Uh, what kind of equipment do you use? Like-
2: sure. Uh, So just a little bit about my background. Uh, I taught AP language and rhetoric in a high school for six years, and it was all about persuasion. We talked about ethos, logos, pathos, good writing uh, is also good speaking and good video content. So when I coach my, my employees through making a video, we talk about the first 10 seconds and the importance of catching your viewer early. We talk about reducing the verbal pauses, uh, what you would place behind the camera so that you got appropriate product picturing to match your message. When mm-hmm. we do our Boomer Bus, we actually move our camera throughout the store so that after watching six Boomer Bus, you've seen most areas of our store and you feel like you've been there before because we want to be able to feature different things. It's real important that you have a target audience in mind that your your message has a clear point. Uh, when I do my Boomer Bus videos, honestly like the one I did this week was 25 minutes and I ended up rambling quite a bit. And there was not a script. I mean, I had two or three points I wanted to talk about. I knew a couple things that I wanted to avoid talking about and we want our videos to feel organic and like us. We don't want to seem too much like a business. We want to seem like us because that's, what's going to connect us to people on Facebook. It is a personal medium. If we seem like a business entity, we're going to get tuned out. Uh, If we're authentically, Darcy Leach, who loves board games and has enthusiasm about education through gaming and interacting face to face with your kids, then people catch that. So we just gotta authentically be us. Um, when our new employees come on and we look at how we can get them on camera, we just we put them in their element. My full-time worker Jordan, his first video was on Yu-Gi-Oh, and we had an upcoming OTS tournament that he was personally very interested in. And he did real well with it. And we shared it in our Yu-Gi-Oh! group and he shared it on his personal page and some of his Yu-Gi-Oh! friends shared it. And that's completely organic. So what I would say about planning, planning matters, but responsive planning matters more. And if you're a business building community, it does, it needs to be organic. Somebody else's formula won't work for you. It's really important that you have a vision and you build that vision so that your community sees the vision but responsiveness is going to tell you that you work with the strengths of the people around you.
0: Sure. Sure. For the whole organic thing makes a lot of sense. Uh, people don't like a corporate message as much as they want the personal connection. Right.
1: And as far as like, uh, writing a script, I don't, I don't know if Darcy ever has written a full script or anything. I usually write down my, my points I'm trying to get to, uh, and that way I can, uh, not skip something, but I'm not as practiced of a speaker as she is and definitely not on camera as often as she is. So what Jordan does, uh, or what, what I do is probably a little more, uh, physical as far as preparation goes than what she does. So our
2: newest employee, Dan is, uh, he is a board game expert. Like he's gone to Gen Con so many times. His collection is still bigger than ours, even though we have a game library. And before we hired him, he was actually our board game night guy by volunteer. And he would come in and he would demo games. And he was making video content for us that we would post on our business page. And he was making that on his own time with his own games And he'd come in and demo them. And we actually, we made a boomer bust on him about tribe leaders and finding people in your community uh, that can organically build because they're very interested and then you trust them to help you build your community and therefore your business and then eventually we hired Dan as soon as we saw that opportunity we gave him the offer and he, he works for us on the weekends five nights a week he keeps us open from 5 p.m to 10 p.m Saturday and Sunday which is still a little risky we're in week three uh, but we have two events there to drive people and they're both completely down strength Saturday's board game night, Dan can lead you through half the board games on our shelf without having to look at the rules. And Sunday is paint night, and he knows how to put on base coats, layer coats, dry paints, all that. And he cares about painting and talking to people, and he really enjoys it. So we're hoping both those events uh, pull us through the extra labor costs, and that uh, we get to tap into Dan's video power. And I can I can tell him what to cover now. <laughs>
0: So we've talked about what worked really well. Obviously, this has been very successful for you. So what's something that you tried that didn't work at all?
2: Well, we've had definitely had videos that don't get the viewership. Um, we tried a premiere video the other day on Facebook. It was brand spanking new. We tried it out. I'm still not sure what it did. It was a pretty decent video. It shows us that it's got five views on the sucker. And a typical boomer bus that we would put out would get about 700 at this point. Um, so I'm not sure if we always know the algorithms or what's going on there. I am, it's a mixed bag on whether our radio ad really worked or not, but I will tell you we're a business partner with games workshop. We stock their product and their promotional money that they offer us. We don't use for a store army. We use for advertising that promotes us and games workshop at the same time. So, uh, their radio, our radio ad was largely footed by games workshop and, uh, probably what I'll do again with my promotional money next year, but I'm out for a while. (laughs) Uh, I will say putting your voice in front of people and giving a message, um, it's a double-edged sword sometimes. We've probably had customers that thought um, they didn't agree with something in our video. We once did one about Kickstarter, and we just explained how Kickstarter is kind of hard for a local business to scale into. Like if a a Kickstarter's retail plan has 10 board games that you have to buy, we don't sell them fast enough to get them. So Kickstarter isn't something we're super favorable to. And if somebody came to us and said, hey, can I help you build this community? If you guys buy this Kickstarter, I'll demo for it it's a really hard proposition for us, especially if Kickstarter is only giving like a 20% margin or something. So anyway, we did a video on that and we've had some Kickstarter fans and you know, it's easy to step on toes when you say this is part of our business plan. Here's what we can do. And this isn't necessarily part of it right now.
0: Yeah. It's um, hard to contest the math, right? you just say, yeah. it doesn't really make sense from a business perspective. I just can't really support it. But some fans are pretty passionate about their, uh, distribution method of choice, Kickstarter has got some pretty raving fans. Right. So so the
1: big thing that I always say to those people is, uh, you know, first off I talk about, you know, supporting your play space, right? Support your community because the play space is what allowed that community to be built and uh, that's where they find their friends, right? And then on top of that, I say, you know, the truth is I think Kickstarter has a place and it's for that board game creator that has not made it yet to where they can get to distributors, because really the math says they'll make more money uh, if they can get to distributors, which gets them into thousands of stores around the United States and potentially the world and and so I say to them, you know, for example, come on, you right? they're just being in a sense, uh, stubborn to not go to distributors at this point because they've made their name. Distributors probably would take them. Right. That's I good. mean, like, on some of their games, they go through Alliance, but they kickstart first. Yeah. Yeah. That's like That's what I meant.
2: I think we've also found with our videos, like, the demographic for Magic isn't necessarily the same Facebook demographic. And we've tried Instagram, and we've tried Twitter. Um... And we've thought about Snapchat or something else and the, the rate of return, the traction that we get, the viewership or the actual walk-in traffic. We haven't actually found success with other social mediums yet. I'd like to maybe, but, but Facebook really is the highest return. If we were on the East Coast or West Coast instead of Kansas, um, we might have different social media mediums that really paid off for us. But even like the school district I work in, we tried a Twitter account and the local viewership of Twitter is just so much lower than Facebook in our area that if we care about our ROI, then that's really where we're going. But I'd like to, I'd like to get into that more. Um, but I would say another thing, boom or bust is about economics, right? And we have a bunch of people that are in, like the business teacher at the high school watches every video. And then there's another business teacher in Hoisington who really likes them. Um, Uh, It connects with people that don't necessarily play heavy card games or heavy board games. Lots of people have small business dreams and we're just, you know, people living out a business dream trying to make it work. But most of what we talk about in the videos are some type of business economics. And when you have a culture that builds community around games, the double-edged sword there is, are these people about business or money? And we try to be real personal in our videos, but what we talk about on Facebook a lot is economics. And then, you know, there might be people out there who think that we're more concerned about the money than the individual customer, but we, we try to connect. Uh, We try to make sure our employees connect and that we have a comfortable environment. But the the more you put your face out there and talk about things, uh, sometimes the quicker people want a personal connection and they don't always have the opportunity to get it. Like personally, Uh, I tried to make my business as beachable as possible. Like I could be at the beach and it would still run because most of the business work that I do, I actually run from the computer or the phone and I'm in the shop, Uh, probably 10% of the time it's open once or twice a week, uh, call in big purchases or call in big sales or mine. But if you're coming in to play magic three times a week, you're seeing Jordan or Daniel and not me, unless you're trying to sell hundred dollars worth of cards. So that's a double-edged sword, too. Uh, One, that we might accidentally upset somebody by the content. Two, that we might seem like we talk more about economics than personal relationship. And then three, that we build our Facebook marketing, or I in particular um, have more FaceTime on Facebook, but then less store time. So it depends on what they're trying to connect to. But if they want to connect to a good game store that's well-run and has a community that's thriving and has easy ways to connect you to other people, then we're that, If they want to be there to talk to me personally for an hour and a half or or talk about the magic metagame or ask me all my business secrets, like, what formula do you use to get your trade calculations? Like, I'm not going to answer that question. And (laughs) um, yeah, but if they don't mind that, then we get along pretty well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I always find it funny when uh, people feel like the business is separate from the person. I think they, they go pretty much hand in hand, especially as a small business owner, that's kind of like this is your life, this is your passion, this is your hobby, this is your, your career in a lot of cases. Like yeah, I don't know. Just for somebody to say, Ah, I don't really like the fact that you talk about business all the time. Like business is a dirty word. I don't think that I don't like that. My personally I don't like that, but I can see why some people have that uh, impression.
1: I mean, honestly, for a lot of the average American, uh, they don't interact with businesses in any way that's positive as far as monetization goes, right? So, they probably think that business people can be considered the bad people, right? Uh, They probably potentially have a job that gets paid to them uh, from not even a business person. so. I mean, that's it's pretty easy for someone to have a worldview that kind of looks down on business people.
2: Well, and that's a valid point, because if if you are brave enough to try to build a business or build something through marketing on social media, you gotta realize people's worst behavior sometimes happens in Facebook Messenger or in some random comment. And if you're gonna build through putting your face on camera, You do. You mentally, personally, you need some type of separation between your face on camera and your person. Because, you know, we haven't had a lot of this personally, but something I prepare myself for every once in a while, you know, at work when I get an email that just is a little short, I I put on Taylor Swift's uh, Shake It Off. And I listen to that line. This is a very womanly nerdy thing, but when she says haters gonna hate and she tells me to shake it off, I'm ready to get my game face on and go for the next one. But the truth is like we build through social media, right? We care about our Facebook ratings. What's the most powerful thing somebody could do? Well, they can try to tramp on that. So if you're going to risk and put the investment in marketing through video, marketing through Facebook, marketing through your personal voice on the radio, put on your big girl pants and be ready to shake it off because the you know there's just if, if you're gonna try to build it, somebody else is going to try to unbuild it. That's the way it works
0: sadly sadly there's always going to be somebody out there who's going to try and break you down but you just gotta move on
2: yeah we have a really supportive community and like daniel really has taught uh a lot of people in our store how to play magic we've taught a lot of people how to play board games we've taught a lot of people how to play pokemon and that personal investment of our time we do have a supportive community and we have a lot of customers that care about us and we do have people that share our facebook content and that protect us online and um, if you're going to build it on Facebook, you have to genuinely have it in store and you got to invest in people and your community and you got to build a safe space where people feel that unified and connected and
0: want to be there and want to support you. We kind of glossed over the the whole move. We just started them now you're in a bigger space. I wanted to jump back to that a little bit and to kind of talk about that because they, that kind of a move, that kind of growth is a uh, pretty extraordinary for the first first year most businesses don't change locations for a while right like it's not usually part of the plan you don't say I'm gonna rent out this space and then in six months I'm gonna move on to the biggest they're gonna triple my space almost
2: well we stayed a full year in the first spot
0: yeah we, we were ready we were
1: ready with the six months but we were signed for a year so we were just preparing for the last six months
0: what was the move like so what was the logistics of just shipping an entire store to an entire store uh I believe that that our
1: my father in law Darcy, darcy's dad uh he was taking extra things over for about a week while we were you know open in the first location uh and we were probably informing customers for over a month that uh we were going to be in the new location soon uh and then The Probably that weekend, we moved everything that we needed in less than 24 hours. And then we had friends come and help us set up in that time period, too. So we weren't open on Sundays uh, at that time. We Mm -hmm. are now. And so Saturday, when we closed at 6 p.m., which we're now open to 10, we... Closed up shop, had somebody come with a trailer and a truck, and we moved things two or three different sets of, uh, of movement back and forth. And uh, then we went to bed, woke up, go, went to church on Sunday, and then went back to the shop and worked till 3 a.m. or something. <laughs> Yeah, it was
2: an exhausting marathon and that it, weekend.
1: It happened to be. I mean, we had a lot of really good help from our friends, uh, but it it happened to be when we opened on Monday at at noon or whatever it was. Uh, we were ready, so wow. it, it worked out really well.
0: It's a pretty compressed time frame to to move everything in a single day.
2: Yeah. Uh, We tried to do a floor plan and move things around we probably had eight different versions of floor plans in in Google drawings and uh, for the most part we followed it when Daniel was talking about us taking things early some of the things we took early were like our tables so we knew exactly where we wanted our play space we had to physically try them we had some fixtures that we we took a little early uh, or knew where they would gonna, were gonna be. So the footprint of our store really was uh, planned out on a Google Drawings floor plan for the most part. We audibled some things once we physically saw how it looked. Yeah. Um, but a, like a lot of our, our back stock or what we would be saving of magic product, hoping it's appreciating or that would be listed online at that time, we were moving that earlier. Um, so really, the marathon was the board games and the counters and the fixtures and all that. Um, It was a lot
1: of work. It was a lot of work. We were all dead on Monday.
2: And you got to understand though, even the day that we left our main street location, we've been inside of stores where we had 20% of their stock. Uh, We were, we were pretty full, but it was a, 900 square foot sales space a closet a bathroom and a back room that was pretty awkward um if we were to move again even we've uh through our 14 months we've actually bought out three different stores of their whole magic supply and this time we got a truckload of board games and warhammer um from a more recent store and right after we moved or right before we bought uh and half a million magic cards from a store that was five thousand square foot, and we added those to our floor plan. I think it was before we opened. I'm not entirely all that,
1: sure. All that went into the new store. So we... you're not in a
0: big rush to move this one.
2: No, it would be so much more work. Like the man hours of of moving, and the planning, and the lost time in our systems, like our daily systems. There's a ton of cost in moving. Um, and like Daniel said, we used friends, but we picked pretty carefully because liability is an issue in moving and volunteer labor that made me so nervous. (laughs) We had a
1: lot of, a lot of people that wanted to help us and we really appreciated the outpouring of support, but I mean, there were just like three couples that helped us
2: and they're all personal friends. Right. They were
1: personal friends. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Of course they're, they're handling your baby. You don't yeah. want to just let anyone start moving your uh moving your stuff around. Well did you
1: know, sue me if they pulled their back out. <laughs> so so right, yeah. Now talk about pulling your back out. Uh here's the other part that made the move stressful. Okay, so uh maybe two weeks before the move, my school, I'm a I'm a high school teacher, we did community service day and I hurt my back doing community service day work. And so I was under doctor's orders not to lift anything. And so that meant that Darcy had to do more manual labor and Randy had to do more manual labor. Uh I still lifted some things. I broke those rules. Uh but I was feeling good and it was at the end of the 2 week period and I think I had one one week left that he said I shouldn't but I'd been on physical therapy for a couple weeks already and been lifting quite a bit at that point. But um, we also had, I'm pretty sure we were going into the last week of school. And so I had finals that week and things like that. So it was it was—it was a busy time.
0: Sounds but like- I
2: will say June of 2017 was our first month. We opened June 2nd. And June of 2018 was our first full month in our new location. We'd been open for a year. We'd established our community. We'd put our marketing footprint out there. Our sales were more than double in store. So it felt worth it. Um, It's hard to tell how much of that is location, but our traffic count is way better. Our signage, we've spent a good amount of money on our signage. It's visible from three sides of our building. That's much better for us. Our space is attractive. Like the only real downside to our new location is that when I film in there, the lights are overhead lighting and there's glare. where we were before, it used to be an art gallery and the lighting was really amazing. It was natural and easy. And, yeah, it was a lot
1: higher up. and so it, yeah, yeah, the
2: higher ceilings. But uh, our location, considering our competition map having no blips for an hour, unless you count Walmart or GameStop, uh, yeah. being on a main street location, having 2,400 square foot with reasonable rent, having manageable air conditioning and heating bills well we haven't gone through heating yet but our equipment is nice like we're in the type of spot where when we started our business we were on a you know one-year plan three-year plan five-year plan if the market crashes this is what we'll do um, but honestly with the community support that we've seen by the build and growth we've seen from our, our community and how they join our Facebook groups and how they support what we're doing online uh, people care about us. People care about our shop. People find what they're looking for in our place. Our space is manageable on the cost. It's attractive from the outside and there's enough people to see it. I think we're we're good for the long run as long as I don't go nuts.
0: Well, that's good. Did you notice a, like a major impact in the number of people who, well, let's say were customers before, did they make the transition? was there like a lull in business where people didn't know where you went or like you know even if when you put up the sign that says hey i'm moving there's still people like oh i didn't know you were moving so we had there were a
1: few that said like within a month that said oh we didn't know we didn't know that you were coming to a new location you know google and facebook make it really easy for people to find you right Mm -hmm. so i could i i switched the address the day we moved, right? And that meant anybody that looked us up on Google or Facebook, they would know exactly where we were at. Uh, But I'm sure there are some people that haven't been in since we moved, but I don't know how often they would have been in anyways. There were a lot more new people that came in though. And honestly, like I, I think it reinvigorated some of our uh every once in a while customers, because they're like, well, I got to go see the new location, even though they'd seen videos or that, you know, they'd heard it's, it's there, you know, they wanted to be there within those fir- that first week and come check it out. And a lot of them said they'd buy a board game and they go, was that new? And we're like, well, we really only brought in 30 new board games since we moved <laughs> you know, or something like that. That one wasn't one of From them
2: buying out that other store. Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. So it was like, it was like, no, but but now we have all this frontage that we can have for those board games. And and because we had new fixtures as well, it was, it was like going to a brand new store for a lot of people.
2: So our main street location, our first location, uh, the tallest building in Great Bend is a high-rise apartment <clears throat> area. And that was three blocks away from us. We did lose some foot traffic that we haven't recovered because we were pretty close to a high-density residential district. On Mm -hmm. 10th Street, it's a much more commercial area. We're not really in walking distance of a lot of people, and there's much more traffic on 10th Street, so people don't walk across 10th Street to get to us. So if we did have customers that would have walked to Main Street, they would now have to walk an extra 0.8 mile and cross the busiest street in town. So we did lose some foot traffic, but the traffic count of where we're at, the advertising that we've built up, the radio advertising is drawing people in from 30 miles away, um, we don't feel it. We miss the people. We wish they would come visit us, and they probably will, but we, we lost some it's, it's residential harder. foot traffic
1: yeah. from the area. Harder for some people to get to us uh, because it became a highway type situation. So,
2: I think we've established a lot of our customer communication to be either in person at events, and we made them aware early of the move, or through the internet and Facebook videos, and we say our address every darn video on purpose so (laughs) they've probably figured it out the video looks different and that makes people curious when you're inside a new location people showed up it was a fun month
0: was good to hear that it was a net benefit overall and that things are going really well yeah yeah so what's up for the future you've got 14 months down what are your what what are the next 14 months gonna look like for you guys well,
2: we have lots of pipe dreams and ambitions, and we've actually added a couple product lines in our store. Uh, I have, if I can figure out the the math and scalability on a couple things, I, you know, whatever, whatever I can level up in first or actually succeed in, that will determine what doors open. Um, if I knew anything about a restaurant, I would want to open up a place called tabletop cafe right next to MindSculpt games. But I think I would sink that ship. So until I know more, <laughs> I'm not doing that one. And you know, there's lots of opportunities like maybe vintage video games or and nothing personal. If anybody hears this locally, but if GameStop kicks the bucket, we'd probably try to pick up the bucket. And There's just different things that if opportunities come, we'll want to seize them. But right now, um, a store that went out of business is bringing us another truckload uh, in the middle of this month. So a lot of how we build is responsive to what's available on the secondary market. Um, If our house sells in Salina, which it's got a contract offer on it, then like our pay down plan changes a little bit. Um, If our full-time manager works out well, maybe he'll have some growth ideas that we latch on to. We have lots of options. We have a couple good ones. We have a couple that would really stretch our abilities. Mindsculpt Games is successful where we're at. We have growing communities. We had 43 players at our last PPTQ. It was a good sales day for us. We're coming up into Black Friday and Christmas season of year two where people actually know we exist in in Great Bend. Um, I think we're going to have the capital and ability to make those decisions soon. And the thing we got to keep in mind is that we need sustainable growth. We need procedures that we can put in writing to be able to keep sustainable growth. Uh, We need scalability. So like if I can do it as a special talent at the store, does it really become part of our procedure? Because if my employees who are working there 80% of the time can't do it, is it a sustainable system? Uh, We have board game rentals that we've been piloting. That's been working pretty well. We're going to pump some extra advertising into that and do that more. Uh, I've been doing teaching classes at the Great Bend Rec with Pokemon. We're adding board games. I think our next step is to get off-site more, to go mm-hmm. do things at the local community college, do more with the Rec Center, do more with churches, do more... Um, retirement centers. Yeah, puzzles at retirement centers. And I think our paint night's going to be good for drawing in a different crowd and our board game night and allowing that. We We were we have a core group of friends that play board games with us that are coming to board game night too. So our first one, we had 12 people at, and um, I think we have a good chance to create a movement in great Bend of like social awareness of board games and acceptability and easy entry group. Um, But really our decisions for the future, a lot of those are critical mass decisions where this is succeeding enough that we can branch into this. So the future is kind of determined by our data. Yeah. And we'll keep looking at that as much as we can.
1: So some of the things that you talked that you asked about what didn't work initially or whatever, uh, we we actually tried really hard almost all year last year uh, to get a board game night where a critical mass of people would show up, and that we would be able to do just any uh, any board game uh, and teach people about different styles of board games, and maybe then they would be inspired to buy something, right? Well, it took this summer us, you know, doing one in our home with friends and then them inviting friends and them inviting friends. And then, you know, as summer was ending, we were like, okay, we're going to do it down at the shop now. And it was all because we were able to hire uh, Dan and and have expanded hours, And so we think we have that now. And, And the painting thing just started. We hadn't been able to get a high success rate of getting people in to buy lots of paint and the painting experience where you can come in and just chat with people, kind of like a barbershop experience, except you're painting uh, and enjoying uh, the interaction that you get with people, right? That is, uh, that hopefully seems, it seems like it's taking off, but of course, we're only like two weeks in. So, you know, you just never know.
2: But in responsive planning, like our competition map for painting miniatures, it doesn't exist. Like, there's nowhere in two hours that has uh, the paint supplies that we have. Like, we started with the Games Workshop standard paint rack, we added the second rack. So, we have 300 of their paints. We have P3 paints. We have Army Painter paints. We have multiple brushes and tools. Um, I don't think we even have a Hobby Lobby in driving distance. So, if somebody has that creative impulse to, paint, we can supply it. My art teacher friends from the school, I'm inviting them to it. And they're not necessarily heavy gamers, but they like to paint and they know about Dungeons and Dragons. Who doesn't in 2018? (laughs) But again, a lot of our planning is just like, there's no competition for this. There's an opportunity for this. Do we have the resources for it? Well, let's ask if we can get the resources and then we see if it works.
1: Something we need to get back on the schedule and doing really well as D&D. We had, uh, my nephew ran D&D for quite a while and he's, you know, since, you know, flown the the coop of Great Bend and- He got married. Yeah, uh, and so we lost the best DM that we could have had uh, because he was personally invested in us and he also was just really entertaining. And so since then, we have still had D&D going, but it's not quite the same. So we've got find, to find the right person to put in the driver's seat of that bus.
0: So I'm hearing there's a lot of options. It, it really depends on what opportunities are presented. So
2: something that changed for us over summer on TCG Player, we're a direct account, we're a pro account. Uh, we hit our 50,000 feedback. So we have the highest feedback rating available on TCG Player too and Mm -hmm. that opportunity that opens, uh, somebody messaged me today, and they're three hours away, but they had $30,000 of singles they wanted to move. I made them an offer. I think I'm going to get turned down on it, but um, our ability to scale from working hard to get that feedback is good. Uh, We're very close to becoming an eBay top seller. We have one metric left to hit, and it's just enough shipments with tracking Uh, upload it on time we're going to hit that by the end of the month I think it might take three for it to cycle in but again like once we just hit certain metrics certain levels that critical mass then yeah opportunities open and we shift gears and try
0: to drive forward exciting times so if there was a budding game store entrepreneur listening to this conversation right now do you have any closing advice that you'd want to throw out there
2: well, I read your article about the five mistakes that people make and most of them are pretty spot on. Uh being undercapitalized, it's hard and we've wanted to open a game store for years. Like we've been married 10 years. It's been our dream as a married couple for 10 years at the least. Um and 10 grand to start in the location that we started in. It it wasn't much and the truth like we sounds Really successful, but we're cheaters because we don't pay ourselves right now. And we do. We have this plan of like we're gonna sell these things at this point, and we're gonna pay down our mortgage, and it's gonna matter in our financial life. But if we started, it's it's really important that we're a no debt model. If we were paying interest on the money that we're using, we would lose margins, and margins matter, and margins are thin. Um, if you're thinking about a game store, don't you dare do it on debt. Don't you dare try to do it on a shoestring budget. 10 grand was really cutting it thin.
0: Um, and but it that- wasn't really 10 grand. Like sure it was no. 10 grand. No. But the fact okay, you so, position where well, you don't I- have to pay yourselves, it's kind of like you're adding a little bit of value to, to your business already. But also you had the, the existing business, in a sense, that was kind of like adding value as well, right?
2: Sure. Right. So when I say 10 grand, we originally took 10 grand out of our Roth IRA. Uh, maybe it was five. I don't remember. It was 10. We bought some really huge collection on Craigslist that had sat there for a while because it was four figures. Uh, And then we cycled that money, bought more collections, cycled that money, bought more collections. We drained the swamp of our area. When we moved to Great Bend, there wasn't another buyer for high-end collections. And we bought a bunch and we cycled that money through. We paid our Roth IRA back. And then the money that we'd profited off from that is what we used for our brick and mortar. So truthfully, yeah. When we say ten grand, that's the the product amount that we started with. It's really like our cash flow was already in place. We were an LLC before we opened our doors. The business was in place. The structures were in place. We we took our lumps in learning before Mm -hmm. we opened our doors and invited customers in because it is not not easy to be a TCG direct account. It is not easy to be a pro account and make it work. Like. These are complex things that we've done. And
0: And you did it well before you had any additional overhead.
1: Yeah. Or additional stress on our time, our money. Otherwise, yeah, absolutely.
2: If we add too many more steps of complexity, my brain's going to poof at (laughs) 3 o'clock in the morning and not have any more good thoughts. Fair enough. But we added our steps of complexity a few at a time. So, yes, we... Uh, I, I've actually had a TCG player account as a seller since I think 2008 and I've had eBay since 1999 or whatever it is. So those skills and scalability, I guess in ways I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. Um, but a new business owner, you better know how to work the secondary market. You better be aware of fraud and you better be able to talk your way through things and while you're talking, looking through the cards, extra careful, and- ca- you got to be well capitalized you got to be ready for the lumps you if you think you're opening a game store to make everyone happy, like quit before you open your doors <laughs> yeah. um, it's not as easy as you think, and the social rewards for it um, they're there, but it's not in making everyone happy and when you make someone unhappy, you have to be able to take that or the business isn't for you
1: you, you absolutely need to uh you need to remember that when you make decisions, you're making decisions for the business. And, and so if you keep it in that lens, the community matters and it absolutely matters a lot, but the most vocal voices in your community are probably not the ones that matter the most. And so you, you have to keep that in mind, that that's don't listen to, to just the loudest voice and, uh, or who talks the most. Uh, make sure that you are keeping within your vision every step of the way because you can you can screw up a good thing uh by listening to the wrong voice uh, or uh allowing the the per- the people that are there for uh enjoyment only uh to make business decisions for you.
2: Yeah. You need a business plan. You need a vision and you need to think about the return on investment of your decisions from a business perspective to make it.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's a great closing thought for us to wrap up the episode on. Well, thank you guys for coming on the show. I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Thomas. It's fun talking to you.
0: All right, that's it for this episode of the Maniverse Podcast. I want to thank Darcy and Daniel Leach for coming on the show and sharing their wisdom with us. And as always, I want to thank you as the listener for tuning in, giving me your ears and your attention for roughly an hour at a time. I deeply appreciate it because without you, there's no reason to record this podcast. So thank you very much. Now, if you are not currently subscribed to the podcast, what I want you to do is go to ManiverseSaga.com. If you are not driving, do that right now. maniversaga.com And put in your name and your email address. And I will make sure that you get the very next episode of the Metaverse podcast delivered directly to your inbox. This is the most reliable and efficient way for you to make sure that you are always up to date with the newest episodes of the Manevers podcast. If you want to send me an email, tom at I am available I'm free. I read my email I'm happy to talk with a listener of the show. Feel free to follow me on Facebook and Twitter if you're into that kind of thing. And I will talk to you guys in the next episode of the Metaverse Podcast.